Section 12 of The Orthodox Faith by John of Damascus. Translated by S. D. F. Salmond. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Book 3, Chapter 15. Concerning the Energies in Our Lord Jesus Christ. We hold further that there are two energies in our Lord Jesus Christ. For he possesses on the one hand, as God, and being of like essence with the Father, the divine energy, and likewise, since he became man, and of like essence to us, the energy proper to human nature. But observe that energy, and capacity for energy, and the product of energy, and the agent of energy, are all different. Energy is the efficient, drastique, and essential activity of nature. Capacity for energy is the nature from which proceeds energy. The product of energy is that which is affected by energy, and the agent of energy is the person or subsistence which uses the energy. Further, sometimes energy is used in the sense of the product of energy, and the product of energy in that of energy, just as the terms creation and creature are sometimes transposed. For we say all creation meaning creatures. Note also that energy is an activity, and is energized rather than energizes, as Gregory the theologian says in his thesis concerning the Holy Spirit. If energy exists, it must manifestly be energized, and will not energize, and as soon as it has been energized, it will cease. Light itself, it should be observed, is energy, yea, the primal energy of the living creature, and so is the whole economy of the living creature, its functions of nutrition and growth, that is, the vegetative side of its nature, and the movement stirred by impulse, that is, the sentient side, and its activity of intellect and free will. Energy, moreover, is the perfect realization of power. If, then, we contemplate all these in Christ, surely we must also hold that he possesses human energy. The first thought that arises in us is called energy, and it is simple energy, not involving any relationship, the mind setting forth the thoughts peculiar to it in an independent and invisible way. For if it did not do so, it could not justly be called mind. Again, the revelation and unfolding of thought by means of articulate speech is said to be energy. But this is no longer simple energy that revolves no relationship, but it is considered in relation, as being composed of thought and speech. Further, the very relation which he who does anything bears to that which is brought about is energy, and the very thing that is affected is called energy. The first belongs to the soul alone, the second to the soul making use of the body, the third to the body animated by mind, and the last is the effect. For the mind sees beforehand what is to be, and then performs it thus by means of the body. And so the hegemony belongs to the soul, for it uses the body as an instrument, leading and restraining it. But the energy of the body is quite different, for the body is led and moved by the soul. And with regard to the effect, the touching and handling, and, so to speak, the embrace of what is affected, belong to the body, while the figuration and formation belong to the soul. And so, in connection with our Lord Jesus Christ, the power of miracles is the energy of his divinity, 
while the work of his hands, and the willing, and the saying, I will, be thou clean, are the energy of his humanity. And as to the effect, the breaking of the loaves, and the fact that the leper heard the I will, belong to his humanity, while the multiplication of the loaves, and the purification of the leper, belong to his divinity. For through both, that is, through the energy of the body and the energy of the soul, he displayed one and the same cognate and equal divine energy. For just as we saw that his natures were united and permeate one another, and yet do not deny that they are different, but even enumerate them, although we know they are inseparable, so also in connection with the wills and the energies we know their union, and we recognize their difference and enumerate them without introducing separation. For just as the flesh was deified without undergoing change in its own nature, in the same way also will and energy are deified without transgressing their own proper limits. For whether he is the one or the other, he is one and the same, and whether he wills and energizes in one way or the other, that is, as God or as man, he is one and the same. We must then maintain that Christ has two energies in virtue of his double nature. For things that have diverse natures have also different energies, and things that have diverse energies have also different natures. And so, conversely, things that have the same nature have also the same energy, and things that have one and the same energy have also one and the same essence, which is the view of the fathers, who declare the divine meaning. One of these alternatives, then, must be true. Either, if we hold that Christ has one energy, we must also hold that he has but one essence, or, if we are solicitous about truth, and confess that he has, according to the doctrine of the Gospels and the Fathers, two essences, we must also confess that he has two energies, corresponding to and accompanying them. For as he is of like essence with God and the Father in divinity, he will be his equal also in energy. And as he likewise is of like essence with us in humanity, he will be our equal also in energy. For the blessed Gregory, Bishop of Nyssa, says, Things that have one and the same energy have also absolutely the same power. For all energy is the effect of power. But it cannot be that uncreated and created nature have one and the same nature, or power, or energy. But if we should hold that Christ has but one energy, we should attribute to the divinity of the word the passions of the intelligent spirit, namely, fear, and grief, and anguish. If they should say, indeed, that the Holy Father said in their disputation concerning the Holy Trinity, things that have one and the same essence have also one and the same energy, and things which have different essences have also different energies, and that it is not right to transfer to the dispensation what has reference to matters of theology. We shall answer that if it has been said by the Fathers solely with reference to theology, and if the Son has not even after the Incarnation the same energy as the Father, assuredly he cannot have the same essence. But to whom shall we attribute this? My Father worketh hitherto, and I work. And this, What things soever he seeth the Father doing, these also doeth the Father likewise. And this, If ye believe not me, believe my works, 
and this, the work which I do, bear witness concerning me, and this, as the Father raised up the dead, and quickeneth them, even so the Son quickeneth whom he will. For all these show not only that he is of like essence to the Father, even after the Incarnation, but that he has also the same energy. And again, if the providence that embraces all creation is not only of the Father and the Holy Spirit, but also of the Son, even after the Incarnation, assuredly, since that is energy, he must have, even after the Incarnation, the same energy as the Father. But if we have learnt from the miracles that Christ has the same essence as the Father, and since the miracles happen to be the energy of God, assuredly he must have, even after the Incarnation, the same energy as the Father. But if there is one energy belonging to both his divinity and his humanity, it will be compound, and will be either a different energy from that of the Father, or the Father too will have a compound energy. But if the Father has a compound energy, manifestly he must also have a compound nature. But if they should say that together with energy is also introduced personality, we shall reply that if personality is introduced along with energy, then the true converse must hold good that energy is also introduced along with personality. And there will be also three energies of the Holy Trinity, just as there are three persons or subsistences. Or there will be one person and one subsistence, just as there is only one energy. Indeed, the Holy Fathers have maintained with one voice that things that have the same essence have also the same energy. But further, if personality is introduced along with energy, those who divine that neither one nor two energies of Christ are to be spoken of do not maintain that either one or two persons of Christ are to be spoken of. Take the case of the flaming sword. Just as in it the natures of the fire and the steel are preserved distinct, so also are their two energies and their effects. For the energy of the steel is its cutting power, and that of the fire is its burning power. And the cut is the effect of the energy of the steel, and the burn is the effect of the energy of the fire. And these are kept quite distinct in the burnt cut, and in the cut burn, although neither does the burning take place apart from the cut after the union of the two, nor the cut apart from the burning. And we do not maintain, on account of the twofold natural energy, that there are two flaming swords, nor do we confuse the essential difference of the energies, on account of the unity of the flaming sword. In like manner also, in the case of Christ, his divinity possesses an energy that is divine and omnipotent, while his humanity has an energy such as is our own. And the effect of his human energy was his taking the child by the hand and drawing her to himself, while that of his divine energy was the restoring of her to life. For the one is quite distinct from the other, although they are inseparable from one another in theandric energy. But if, because Christ has one subsistence, he must also have one energy, then, because he has one subsistence, he must also have one essence. And again, if we should hold that Christ has but one energy, this must be either divine or human, or neither. But if we hold that it is divine, we must maintain that he is God alone, stripped of our humanity. 
and if we hold that it is human, we shall be guilty of the impiety of saying that he is mere man. And if we hold that it is neither divine nor human, we must hold that he is neither God nor man, of like essence neither to the Father nor to us. For it is as a result of the union and that the identity in hypostasis arises. But yet the difference between the natures is not done away with. But since the difference between the natures is preserved, manifestly also the energies of the natures will be preserved, for no nature exists that is lacking in energy. If Christ our Master has one energy, it must be either created or uncreated, for between these there is no energy, just as there is no nature. If, then, it is created, it will point to created nature alone. But if it is uncreated, it will betoken uncreated essence alone. For that which is natural must completely correspond with its nature. For there cannot exist a nature that is defective. But the energy that harmonizes with nature does not belong to that which is external. And this is manifest, because apart from the energy that harmonizes with nature, no nature can either exist or be known. For through that in which each thing manifests its energy, the absence of change confirms its own proper nature. If Christ has one energy, it must be one and the same energy that performs both divine and human actions. But there is no existing thing which, abiding in its natural state, can act in opposite ways. For fire does not freeze and boil, nor does water dry up and make wet. But how could he who is by nature God, and who became by nature man, have both performed miracles and endured passions with one and the same energy? If, then, Christ assumed the human mind, that is to say, the intelligent and reasonable soul, undoubtedly he has thought and will think forever. But thought is the energy of the mind, and so Christ, as man, is endowed with energy, and will be so for ever. Indeed, the most wise and great and holy John Chrysostom says in his interpretation of the Acts in the Second Discourse, One would not err if he should call even his passion action, for in that he suffered all things he accomplished the great and marvellous work, the overthrow of death, and all his other works. If all energy is defined as essential movement of some nature, as those who are versed in these matters say, where does one perceive any nature that has no movement, and is completely devoid of energy? Or where does one find energy that is not movement of natural power? But, as the blessed Cyril says, no one in his senses could admit that there was but one natural energy of God and his creation. It is not his human nature that raises up Lazarus from the dead, nor is it his divine power that sheds tears. For the shedding of tears is peculiar to human nature, while the life is peculiar to the enhypostatic life. But yet they are common, the one to the other, because of the identity in subsistence. For Christ is one, and one also is his person or subsistence. But yet he has two natures, one belonging to his humanity, and another belonging to his divinity. 
and the glory, indeed, which proceeds naturally from his divinity, became common to both through the identity in subsistence. And again, on account of his flesh, that which was lowly became common to both. For he who is the one or the other, that is, God or man, is one and the same. And both what is divine and what is human belong to himself. For while his divinity performed the miracles, they were not done apart from the flesh. And while his flesh performed its lowly offices, they were not done apart from the divinity. For his divinity was joined to the suffering flesh, yet remaining without passion, and endured the saving passions, and the holy mind was joined to the energizing divinity of the word, receiving and knowing what was being accomplished. And thus his divinity communicates its own glories to the body, while it remains itself without part in the sufferings of the flesh. For his flesh did not suffer through his divinity in the same way that his divinity energized through the flesh. For the flesh acted as the instrument of his divinity. Although, therefore, from the first conception there was no division at all between the two forms, but the actions of either form through all the time became those of one person, nevertheless we do not in any way confuse those things that took place without separation, but recognize from the quality of its works what sort of form anything has. Christ, then, energizes according to both his natures, and either nature energizes in him in communion with the other. The word, performing through the authority and power of its divinity all the actions proper to the word, that is, all acts of supremacy and sovereignty, and the body, performing all the actions proper to the body, in obedience to the will of the word, that is, united to it, and of whom it has become a distinct part. For he was not moved of himself to the natural passions, nor again did he in that way recoil from the things of pain, and pray for release from them, or suffer what befell from without. But he was moved in conformity with his nature, the word willing and allowing him economically to suffer that, and to do the things proper to him, that the truth might be confirmed by the works of nature. Moreover, just as he received in his birth of a virgin super-essential essence, so also he revealed his human energy in a superhuman way, walking with earthly feet on unstable water, not by turning the water into earth, but by causing it in the superabundant power of his divinity not to flow away, nor yield beneath the weight of material feet. For not in a merely human way did he do human things. For he was not only man, but also God. And so even his sufferings brought life and salvation. Nor yet did he energize as God strictly after the manner of God, for he was not only God, but also man. And so it was by touch and word and such like that he worked miracles. But if any one should say, We do not say that Christ has but one nature in order to do away with his human energy, but we do so because human energy, in opposition to divine energy, is called passion, pathos. We shall answer that, according to this reasoning, those who hold that he has but one nature do not maintain this with a view of doing away with his human nature, but because human nature, in opposition to divine nature, is spoken of as passable, pathetike, 
But God forbid that we should call the human activity passion when we are distinguishing it from divine energy. For to speak generally, of nothing is the existence recognized or defined by comparison or collation. If it were so, indeed, existing things would turn out to be mutually the one the cause of the other. For if the human activity is passion because the divine activity is energy, assuredly also the human nature must be wicked because the divine nature is good. And by conversion and opposition, if the divine activity is called energy because the human activity is called passion, then also the divine nature must be good because the human nature is bad. And so all created things must be bad. And he must have spoken falsely who said, And God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. We therefore maintain that the Holy Fathers gave various names to the human activity according to the underlying notion. For they called it power and energy and difference and activity and property and quality and passion, not in distinction from the divine activity, but power because it is a conservative and invariable force, and energy because it is a distinguishing mark and reveals the absolute similarity between all things of the same class, and difference because it distinguishes, and activity because it makes manifest, and property because it is constituent and belongs to that alone and not to any other, and quality because it gives form, and passion because it is moved. For all things that are of God and after God suffer in respect of being moved, forasmuch as they have not in themselves motion or power. Therefore, as has been said, it is not in order to distinguish the one from the other that it has been named, but it is in accordance with the plan implemented in it, in a creative manner by the cause that framed the universe. Wherefore, also, when they spoke of it along with the divine nature, they called it energy. For he who said, For either form energizes close communion with the other, did something quite different from him who said, and when he had fasted forty days, he was afterwards and hungered. For he allowed his nature to energize when it so willed, in the way proper to itself. Or from those who hold there is a different energy in him, or that he has a twofold energy, or now one energy and now another. For these statements, with the change in terms, signify the two energies. Indeed, often, the number is indicated both by change of terms and by speaking of them as divine and human. For the difference is difference in differing things. But how do things that do not exist differ? Chapter 16. In reply to those who say, If man has two natures and two energies, Christ must be held to have three natures and as many energies. Each individual man, since he is composed of two natures, soul and body, and since these natures are unchangeable in him, could appropriately be spoken of as two natures. For he preserves, even after their union, the natural properties of either. For the body is not immortal, but corruptible. Neither is the soul mortal, but immortal. And the body is not invisible, nor the soul visible to bodily eyes. But the soul is rational and intellectual and incorporeal, while the body is dense and visible and irrational. 
but things that are opposed to one another in essence have not one nature, and therefore soul and body cannot have one essence. And again, if man is a rational and mortal animal, and every definition is explanatory of our underlying natures, and the rational is not the same as the mortal according to the plan of nature, man then certainly cannot have one nature, according to the rule of his own definition. But if man should at any time be said to have one nature, the word nature is here used instead of species, as when we say that man does not differ from man in any difference of nature. But since all men are fashioned in the same way, and are composed of soul and body, and each has two distinct natures, they are all brought under one definition. And this is not unreasonable, for the holy Athanasius spoke of all created things as having one nature, forasmuch as they were all produced, expressing himself thus in his oration against those who blasphemed the Holy Spirit. That the Holy Spirit is above all creation, and different from the nature of things produced, and peculiar to divinity, we may again perceive. For whatever is seen to be common to many things, and not more in one and less in another, is called essence. Since then every man is composed of body and soul, accordingly we speak of man as having one nature. But we cannot speak of our Lord's subsistence as one nature. For each nature preserves, even after the union, its natural properties. Nor can we find a class of Christ's. For no other Christ was born both of divinity and humanity to be at once God and man. And again, man's unity in species is not the same thing as the unity of body and soul in essence. For man's unity in species makes clear the absolute similarity between all men, while the unity of soul and body in essence is an insult to their very existence and reduces them to nothingness for either the one must be changed into the essence of the other, or from different things something different must be produced, and so both would be changed, or if they keep to their own proper limits there must be two natures. For, as regards the nature of essence, the corporeal is not the same as the incorporeal. Therefore, although holding that man has one nature, not because the essential quality of his soul and that of his body are the same, but because the individuals included under the species are exactly the same. It is not necessary for us to maintain that Christ also has one nature, for in this case there is no species embracing many subsistences. Moreover, every compound is said to be composed of what immediately composes it, for we do not say that a house is composed of earth and water, but of bricks and timber. Otherwise it would be necessary to speak of man as composed of at least five things, namely the four elements and soul. And so also in the case of our Lord Jesus Christ we do not look at the parts of the parts, but at those divisions of which he is immediately composed, namely divinity and humanity. And further, if by saying that man has two natures we are obliged to hold that Christ has three, you too, by saying that man is composed of two natures, must hold that Christ is composed of three natures. And it is just the same with the energies. For energy must correspond with nature. And Gregory the theologian bears witness 
that man is said to have and has two natures, saying, God and man are two natures, since indeed soul and body also are two natures. And in his discourse concerning baptism, he says, Since we consist of two parts, soul and body, the visible and the invisible nature, the purification is likewise twofold, that is, by water and spirit. End of section 12